Hello and welcome to the Reversing Diabetes with Delane MD podcast. This is episode number 209. I am recording in a different space and I'm not hardwired into my internet. Typically, I record in my office, which is on my third floor attic, but it's been 105 to 110 in Kansas all week. It's very, very hot up there. It's the end of the day. So I thought I would come downstairs and record in the AC where it's nice. It's air conditioned up there, although the air conditioner is maybe not working as well as it should be. And I have somebody coming to look at it. Either way, I apologize if the audio is not quality and if there's any glitches in the internet i will try to talk slow which does not work well for my uh chicago upbringing but i'll do the best that i can if you are new to the podcast i'm delaine vaughn i'm a board certified family practice doctor i'm a former emergency room nurse i'm a veteran healthcare provider and host of this podcast this podcast is for women who are not ready to let go of longevity vitality and their vigor it's for women who know that life is a gift and they're not ready to start the downward spiral of chronic disease and letting it go. This podcast is for badass women who do hard things in many other areas of their life, but they can't seem to master chocolate cake. If this sounds like you, let's talk. Today, we are going to talk about the most exciting thing that people have talked about in hair salons and nail salons and all the places ladies go. We are going to talk about Ozempic and those types of meds. We go V, all of those meds. We're going to talk about that type of med. This is a two-part series. Today we are going to talk about what drives people to go on those meds and then next week I'm going to talk about the science and the studies and kind of what those meds do. I do want to talk about, um, we're going to talk about the Ozempic, we're going to talk about why it's important to kind of uncover what you believe about it. I'm going to share some stories with women that I've interviewed who have gone on Ozempic, not clients. These are women who I've interviewed outside of being my clients. And then we're going to talk about how to change it, how to recognize the cognitive distortions that you have that lead to going on these meds and how to address that in a functional way to fix this permanently without meds. Before we get started, I do want to, as always, make the disclaimer or make the mention if you are on meds for your type 2 diabetes you need to be very careful making the changes that i recommend in this podcast you have been medicated because of how you've eaten in the past if you change how you're eating you're going to need to change your medications if you make these changes you need to contact your primary care provider you need to have a very clear conversation with them about what you intend to do and then you need to have a line of communication open with them for you to share your blood sugar numbers with them and them to have a clear line of communication back to you to tell you how to adjust those medications. So you need to make a phone call to your medical provider before you start making these changes. If not, you can get very, very sick. You can drop your blood sugar so low that you get very, very ill and like need to go to the ER or need to go to the hospital, okay? I mean, like even you can get sick and die with this. Please do not do that. Before you start making these changes, call your medical provider and start to set up a plan with them about how that's going to go. Please be careful. I also want to ask everybody, rate the podcast. The more times that you rate this podcast, whether you're listening on whatever podcast player you're listening to, or if you're listening to it on my website, which you can also find it at delanemd.com, share it with your friends, share it with people. If you are finding this podcast helpful, sharing it with others so that they get the same help or rating the podcast will make the podcast players share it with others so other people can find this help please do that so other people can get the same help that you're getting 
follow me on Instagram, follow me on Facebook, Delane MD on either of those. And then lastly, go to the Delane MD reversing diabetes page on Facebook and join that group. Lots of hopeful, hopeful souls, a great community, a fun time going there. This week I went live and I coached in there for an hour, had a wonderful time, answered a bunch of questions, discussed things with uh, these women and these men that are in that uh, group. So if you're interested in that, go and find that on Facebook. I also want to mention I am offering a diabetes reversal assessment. So if you're a woman with type 2 diabetes and you're worried and frustrated and confused about why you can't seem to fix it, there is help. These assessment calls are 45-minute Zoom calls where you and I will discuss your biggest obstacles, where you're struggling the most. By the end of it, you're going to have a full understanding about what that main obstacle is and why you haven't been able to overcome it. Okay. So if you're interested in that, please sign up for that. You can find it at... Um, you can find it on my work with me page on my website. You can email me at delane at delanemd.com. Sign up for that if you're interested. We can also talk about what it looks like for us to work together in the group and also in a one-on-one -on -one setting for you to get the support that you need to fix this once and for all. All right. That was a lot. We are going to dive into Ozempic. Okay. So we're going to talk about what the mindset is today that women at least the women that I have interviewed. And if you have a different mindset, I would love to hear from you about this. I think that's just the most interesting part about it. Um, but we're gonna talk about that mindset for going into Ozempic because that's really the place that we have the most agency to change. And that's why it's important. We're gonna talk about the um, interviews that I've had with women regarding this. And then lastly, we're gonna talk about kind of what we can do to fix it. So. I heard a lot of different reasons when I interviewed women about going on Ozempic. I heard that they felt helpless or that they felt out of control. They felt that their cravings were unmanageable and they thought that the med might help them overcome that. They were also, the other thing that I heard about from them where they were worried about developing complications that come with uncontrolled diabetes. Some women said that they hoped that that med would launch them in to better results. So they could maybe come off of it and maintain the better results later. There were women that talked about desperation. There were women that, again, talked about having that short-term benefit, like they could do it short-term and have better results long-term. There were women who came to me and they were telling me about why they went on Ozempic because their doctor offered it to them and they had no idea reversing diabetes was even possible. So all of these different ideas or all of these different thoughts are what women were bringing to me in these interviews that I did with women. So I've grouped, I'm sorry guys, my cat won't get off my lap. I've been gone all day and it wants to cuddle. So I'm doing the best that I can. But if you hear a cat meowing, it's because it's really a cat. I haven't started speaking feline or anything. So I grouped these thoughts, these kind of reasons into three main categories. And there are, again, there's going to be more. This is not an all-inclusive list, but I do think that many of times these thoughts are based on cognitive distortions. And that's really what I've grouped these into. I've grouped them into kind of what types of thoughts and then I've matched them to a cognitive distortion. And I'm going to talk 
about why the cognitive distortion really keeps us stuck. I did do a podcast, I think it was 198 on cognitive distortions. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that. That podcast, again, was not all inclusive of every cognitive distortion known to man or known to psychologists. It was just a list of a number of them that I see frequently with clients. But this, what I'm gonna talk about, three different family of thoughts and then the cognitive distortion of those three different family of thoughts. So the first family of thoughts is really this um, out of controlness. There, this lack of belief in their ability to control. So they felt out of control, helpless, desperate. They felt their cravings were unmanageable and they felt worry. Okay. So a lot of times the reason, like the thought behind here, I'm out of control and I'm never going to be able to get back in control. I'm never going to be able to figure this out. I'm helpless and it's never going to change. I'm desperate for something to change, for just something to start moving in the right direction. These cravings are unmanageable. I can't control them. Or there's this worry, like all of this kind of wraps up along a worry that I'm never going to be able to fix this and I'm going to get the complications and die of type 2 diabetes. Okay. This thought, this cognitive distortion is a catastrophization. It's a catastrophe thought. Okay. So whenever we're in this realm of catastrophe, whenever we start making decisions based on worry of the end of the world, right? Like the sky is falling, the sky is falling. We make decisions from that space only looking at what's right in front of us. We don't look at two or three or four or five steps in front of us. We just look at what's right in front of us, not considering long-term outcomes. This is an effect of that primitive brain. It is not a prefrontal cortex work when we make decisions from catastrophe thoughts. Okay. So if you think of a kind of extreme situation where you see this very clearly as a catastrophe thought, if your child or your loved one was being held hostage and the hostage people asked for a ransom of money and you would sell everything you own and you would sell, you would cash out all of your financial, all of your, everything you could to liberate money, to make money fluid so that you could give cash to the hostage, the people who've taken your loved one hostage. Not that there's anything wrong. I mean, like I would do that, but clearly if you did that, if you sold your house, sold your cars, got all your money out, and then you got your loved one back, the steps ahead of you are that you don't have anywhere to live now, you have no money to buy food. You have no money to get the things that you need. You have no money to get on an airplane and fly home because you used all your money to liberate your child or your loved one, right? That's the kind of decisions you make from this catastrophe space. I have a, an ankle that's not been happy. It's been hurting. And in my mind, I'm like, ooh, do I keep running on it? I can run on it. It like isn't so painful. And actually when I run, it's not painful. It's just when I walk around the house that it gives me a hard time. And in my brain, I'm like, oh, but if I needed to run from something, I could totally run from something. Even if it was broken, I could do that. But again, if you were running from something, it was because of fear of self-harm, this catastrophe space. And you would do that even though that you would know that you would have further damaged the ankle, the broken bone or whatever, right? You don't look at the long-term expense. You just pay whatever is being asked of you in the moment. When we make decisions about our health from that space, 
We're going to do whatever it takes with the hopes of prolonging our life, even though maybe the meds don't actually prolong life or don't actually fix the problem. Okay. And that's what's happening with that Ozempic or those types of meds. Okay. So other women gave me this idea of, I thought it would be a launching board. I thought it would be a springboard to get me started. It would be this launching space and I could get started and then I could come off the meds. This is an interesting, I love seeing this because what I know is that your belief about the food that you struggle to eat or not to eat, that you struggle to stay away from really, your belief of that food is not gonna be changed unless you start actively trying to change that belief. And a pill isn't gonna do that. There is no medication that's gonna change that belief. That's brain work that you've gotta do, right? The cognitive distortion that this is, is the fallacy of change. So the fallacy of change is frequently described when we talk about relationships, like somebody gets in a marriage with the idea that their spouse will change. Like I'm gonna marry him, I mean, there's this one thing I don't really like, but I think it'll change, so I'm just gonna go ahead and marry him. That's the fallacy of change. And anybody who has seen anybody to do that, you understand, oh, that is clearly a fallacy. Like they, nobody changes and they don't change because we ask them to. So either we have to accept them with who they are, flaws and lovely you know, characteristics all as one, or we have to make that hard decision that I'm not willing to accept that flaw, right? That's fallacy of change. How this looks is that somehow like your belief about the food is gonna change magically, that it's gonna be different without doing the work, right? Like. Yes, thoughts can change, unlike maybe we can't change a significant other, we can't make them be something else, they have to do that work themselves. We can't enforce that change. We can enforce changes in our thoughts, but we have to actually work on the thoughts. We can't do that by taking a pill. The pill is never gonna change that thing that we believe about chocolate cake or M&Ms or Diet Coke or pizza or onion rings or whatever it is that's making you sick, okay? The last thought family that I heard a lot of was lack in the ability, a lack of belief in the ability to do it differently. And the sad thing or the frustrating thing for me is a lot of times this was doctor planted. This was medicine planted. This was healthcare provider planted lack of belief. Docs do this all the time. Docs tell patients and they believe, I mean, it's not that they're bad, they're maliciously doing this. I've yet to meet the malicious physician they're not maliciously thinking, ooh, I'm gonna get them stuck on this med and they're never gonna get off of it. And I'm gonna make all this money from being on, you know, Pfizer's drug board or, you know, uh, whoever, you know, Glasgow Klein or whoever's uh, drug, you know, board or marketing or their payroll. None of the doctors I know think that. They really believe the med is the answer. And what they believe is that it's too hard for the average human to stop eating foods that make them sick, okay? And then they give that belief as an expert to a patient, which is really sad, okay? But a lot of times it's a self-planted belief, right? Women will focus on their past efforts that haven't worked and they make it mean that nothing's ever gonna work. They're not gonna be able to do it different. They're never gonna be able to do it differently. And then, 
or they believe they can't do it long term, right? That's the other part of it. So this cognitive distortion is emotional reasoning. In the moment you're feeling like there's nothing else to do or try. In the moment you're feeling like either the doctors told you you have to take this and although you don't want to, you feel like I don't know what else to do. You're kind of at a loss. Or in the moment you feel so defeated by previous efforts to try to try to try to make these changes and not being able to get the success you're looking for because honestly you're probably not trying the thing that is going to work is really what it comes down to you from that defeated space you make decisions okay it feels impossible and you make a decision to try out a med because you feel in that moment it's impossible so this is the thing about feelings and this is where emotional this is how emotional reasoning works feelings are fleeting they are impermanent. They are temporary. They all pass. All of them. The good feeling that feels so determined and so amazingly committed, that feeling's going to pass. And so is the feeling of it being impossible and you feeling defeated. It's going to pass also. That's how feelings work. But emotional reasoning is when you have a feeling that will pass and you make a decision thinking you're going to do that decision long term. Okay. So when you're feeling like defeated or like it's not going to work, you go on a med and you're like, oh, I'm going to just take this med and that's what I'll do. But once that defeated space and that um, impossible feeling passes, you're like, I don't want to be on this med. I think I'm going to just eat differently. Right. Like, and suddenly you don't want to take the med anymore either. Okay. I've seen people do this. I've seen women do this with committing to like fasting regimens. And I've had to have conversations with women like, do you want to do this fasting thing like this? Is this how you want to do it? Because it seems pretty aggressive. And what it comes from is frustration or feeling defeated or feeling like it's impossible to do it any way else. I'm going to do a 96 hour fast. <laughs> That'll do it. And of course, when you're starting a 96 hour fast, you're like, I could totally do a 96 hour fast. When you get about 72 hours into a 96 hour fast, you're like, this is the most horrible idea I've ever had in my life. Those emotions change. All the emotions are fleeting. They are fluid. We are emotional beings and we get all the emotions and we're meant to have all the emotions. Nothing's went wrong. But when we make decisions from our primitive brain down low, that reptilian brain that looks for really rapid results, or it looks for, you know, easy results. That's what we, we believe going on the med's gonna be easier. I'll just fast. It sounds so easy on day one to just not eat. The reality is a fast can be very hard. The reality is the meds are gonna have side effects that you're not gonna like, right? That, pre, that primitive brain seeks to find pleasure, avoid pain, and expend the least amount of energy possible. And once the option that we've decided the action that we've decided to take from that emotional reasoning once that action is no longer comfortable we want to avoid that also okay and this is why making a decision out of that emotional reasoning won't get us to the results that we want this is what happens with these distortions these cognitive distortions come from making decisions from this emotional space or with these distortions and then of course the result we get is distorted right the result of catastrophization is this scroungy desperate action right the result of this fallacy of change is based on something 
that doesn't even exist, which means like the reality isn't there. Like it's based on something, the idea that something's going to be different and that's not real, which means the results aren't going to be different either. Right. Making a decision from emotional reasoning is making a decision from a fleeting feeling that's going to pass. And when that feeling passes, we realize we've committed to something we don't really want to do long term. Okay. So these are the reasons, guys, that meds like semaglutide, Ozempic, Wigovi, whatever those class of meds, and we're going to talk about what those classes of meds are. We're going to talk about that next week. But it's the reason these things don't work. They don't work because you have to actually change the things that you believe about the food. And one of the things that I try to do frequently, maybe obnoxiously in this podcast is to give you a bunch of different beliefs, a bunch of different thoughts. Remember, beliefs are just thoughts that you've held so long that they seem very true to you. One of the things that I've tried to do in this podcast is to give you other thoughts. Thoughts like, I have to break up with this food. Thoughts like, this food makes me sick. Thoughts like, this food doesn't match my biology or align with my biology. Thoughts like, this food is not going to move me towards my goal. Thoughts like, a hundred thousand years ago, 10,000 years ago, a thousand years ago, this food wasn't around and people didn't have these sicknesses. I try so, again, obnoxiously to give you thoughts that are different. And it's because the thoughts are where you make the change. It's not in the meds. And of course, coaching is what, this is what we do in coaching. We uncover the thoughts that you're experiencing, that you're having, that kind of form your experience of the world. We uncover the thoughts. We uncover the way that it feels for you and the actions that come from that. And then you see the result that that trifecta produces for you. And you get to decide whether it's worth keeping or not. Okay. I still hold on to the thought that there are certain foods that I do like. I like pizza. I like chocolate cake. But I also very, very much believe that when I see myself eating them daily, I don't have the health results that I like. So I know that although I like them, they are not daily foods. Okay. Learning to change the things that we believe about those foods to a place where we have a result that serves our goals is what coaching is about. If this resonates for you, you need to set up a reverse your diabetes assessment call because that's what we're gonna come and see. What is that obstacle that is keeping you stuck? And we're gonna see why you haven't been able to overcome it, okay? If that's what you need to do, set up one of those calls. You can always email me at delane at delanemd.com or you can go to Calendly, C-A-L-E-N-D-L-Y, calendly.com forward slash delanemd and you can set it up right there. All right, I hope this was helpful. I will be back next week and we will talk about the science of Ozempic and we will talk about the studies for Ozempic. We'll talk then, bye-bye.